We're always interested in open source projects here at Packet Pushers, and today on the Priority Queue, we get an overview of Zero Tier, an open source networking project with a commercial variant that claims to, quote, network almost any kind of device or application as if the entire planet is a single cloud region, close quote. Joining us today to discuss Zero Tier is founder Adam Ayeri Menko. How do you do in your last name, Adam? Was I close? You were pretty close. It's technically Yeri Menko, but nobody gets that, and uh, half the people spell it with an I. So Yeri Menko. All right. So, so Adam, I was I mentioned zero tier in our intro. Before we get to that, I I am curious because I was looking at your background. I am curious if you have a take on the current state of software defined networking in 2017. What, what do you think it means? And you've got this perspective of a, of a programmer and a developer of networking software. So uh, let me just introduce myself briefly. Uh, my name is Adam Yeriminko. As uh, as Ethan said, uh, I've been I'm one of these people that's been programming since I was a kid. Uh, got on the internet in 1993. Uh, installed Linux from a stack of floppy disks. So I've been doing this for a long, long time. Uh, and uh, I've been uh, I, I think my two loves in in computing are uh, machine learning and networking. Um, when I first got on the internet, uh, I got really into networking just by exploring how it worked. Um, so uh, let's see. Let's fast forward uh, back to that question. So uh, to answer your question, what does SDN mean in 2017? What's the current state of uh, software-defined networking? Um, networking is, is an interesting field. Uh, it's a little bit different from the other fields in computing. Um, I feel like it's got... Um, it's uh, it's better in some ways. Uh, the stuff in it tends to uh, tends to be a little more well thought out than in some areas of computing. But it's also uh, it's got a bad case of um, uh, terminology decay. Like uh, people will start using a term in networking and they'll say, um, "Oh, this means uh, SDN means this," and then over time, uh, SDN starts to grow and grow and grow until it encompasses almost everything. Yeah, terminology. Uh, I've never heard it described that way before, but I love that. Um, you know, we we've always like it's it's the the washing effect. We've SDN washed it. We've machine learning washed it. We've cloud washed it, uh, etc. But terminology decay really gets to the heart of it. So yeah. Fantastic. Cloud, cloud is cloud is really really bad, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it basically means nothing these days. Um, but uh, SDN, um, because it means so many different things, I think it originally started uh, started out as kind of a. I don't know, in my opinion, kind of a glorified successor to things like SNMP, where you could um, do really smart configuration of networking hardware. Um, but I take it personally just. Uh, to, to get around the terminology decay, I take it literally. So software-defined networking basically means uh, abstracting away um, the physical hardware and being able to treat networks as uh, virtual entities. And I consider it to be almost a synonym for network virtualization, although people that are uh, people that are into the hardware side of SDN will, will differ with that because they'll say uh, well hardware SDN doesn't have any encapsulation so okay that's that's valid but uh, I consider it pretty close to network virtualization um, as far as uh, as far as the state of it these days um, I think that the the widest use that you see for SDN right now is in the cloud uh, with things like Amazon VPC which, uh, when you look at what VPC is, is basically kind of a uh, an, an SDN as a service inside Amazon's cloud. It's gotten some penetration on the uh, on the data center side, but beyond that, um, I don't see it as being something that's hit mainstream yet. Uh, of course, we're trying to change that a little bit. 
Uh, right, hasn't hit mainstream yet, or, or if it's hit mainstream, it's in you know point products, uh, specific solutions from a vendor yeah. that may leverage SDN technology, uh, but but isn't like wholesale changing an enterprise's network. Okay, so your bio, Adam, you express an interest in uh, in decentralizing the internet, uh, and what do you what do you mean by that exactly? Um. Ah, that that's another term that's kind of experienced uh, terminology decay. But uh, my take on it is, um, when I first got on the internet in 1993 uh, or thereabouts, um, every machine on the internet had an IP address, and if I wanted to send you something, uh, I could just send it to your machine because it had an IP address. Um, since then, uh, a number of things have happened. We've gotten mobility, and we also uh, we also outgrew the IPv4 uh, uh, address space. So we got this uh, hack called NAT, which uh, made it so every machine no longer has an IP address. <laughs> so what happened is, uh, because of that, we kind of broke the internet as an endpoint-to-endpoint -end network. And over time, we've evolved into this two-tier internet where um, you have the core of the internet and the cloud where everything can communicate very easily. And then you have the edge, which is kind of this ghetto where uh, the way we network edge systems um, hasn't really changed in, you know, 20, 25 years. Uh, what we're trying to do, I, I think, with Zero Tier, uh, it comes out of the idea of decentralizing the internet, which is to kind of bridge that gap. Um, I started out this project by, uh, I, I was uh, doing uh, network security for a big data center at the time, and uh, I was also uh, spending a lot of time studying peer-to-peer uh, -peer networking and decentralized systems like uh, like Bitcoin and BitTorrent and things like that. And uh, what Zero Tier really is, is it kind of brings together ideas from both of those, uh, those directions. It brings together ideas from what the SDN people were doing, uh, and also brings together uh, ideas from what uh, some of the decentralized apps people were doing. Um, the, one of the original goals of the project, I guess, was to, uh, to kill the cloud, not in the sense of making the cloud go away, but in the sense of uh, making the cloud kind of irrelevant. So the idea is uh, we can bring the cloud down to the point where now everything is the cloud. Your laptop is the cloud. Your phone is the cloud. Um, we live inside a giant data center, and we can forget about the distinction, and we can start using the internet the way we used to, but in a more modern sort of sense. So, I mean, is that your pitch? If I was to ask you to introduce zero tier in just a few sentences, you'd say, um, you know, everything is now you know part of the cloud. Yeah, I mean, uh, if people are familiar with Amazon VPC, you can think of it as Amazon as being kind of like Amazon VPC, except uh, your VPC can extend anywhere. Uh, so you can create a virtual network, you can add your phone and your laptop and your cloud resources and the server in your closet and your toaster, and uh, all of it will just communicate as if it's on the same LAN, and the, uh, the software takes care of routing and encryption and authentication and everything else pretty transparently, so you don't have to do very much. Uh, okay, so if you're listening to this audience, we're gonna we're gonna dive into the details here, uh, and find sure. out just how all of that stuff is happening. But uh, but but before we get there, I got some more level setting I want to do with Adam. So Adam, what what are the best use cases then for for zero tier? How do you position this? I mean, we got home use cases, possibly enterprise, cloud, hybrid cloud, multi cloud. How, how do you see zero tier fitting into the world? Um. 
We have a, we actually have a challenge sometimes uh, in terms of presenting this technology because its use case uh, is actually as general almost as IP. Um, it's used by everyone from, uh, from gamers, you know, connecting their home computers together all the way up to big publicly traded companies that have built it into their products. Um, so, uh, I guess a simple home use sort of use case would be install it on your, uh, your laptop, your desktop, your network attached storage device, and just access all those things no matter where you are. Um, so, so literally, use, literally, yeah. I could install this. Like, I have, I have a home network. I got some servers, and I, yeah. and I have a Synology array. And so, I don't know. Yeah. If it would, I don't know if there's a module to run zero tier on Synology, but, but literally, I could, you know, get on a plane and go somewhere as I often do, and uh, have access to all of those things as if I'm on one common network, like any sort of a VPN scenario. Yeah, I mean, we actually have an official package for Synology. Um, so you could install it on all your devices. You can also, uh, if you're up for a little bit of hacking, you can um, you can just install it on a single device and set up either a router or a bridge. Um, we'll get to this later, but it emulates Ethernet. You can actually bridge virtual networks with physical networks. So if you want to, you can use it to, to glue networks together like that. So you could be sitting on an airplane with your laptop, and your laptop literally thinks it is on your home Wi-Fi. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, if that's, I mean, if you can do all that and, you know, those, all those home use cases, then I suppose enterprise mm -hmm. is, uh, well, there's lots of applications there too. Yeah. Um, one of the most popular ones that we have is, uh, what people call hybrid cloud, which is really just a jargony way of saying you've got stuff in more than one place. Right. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, it, networking also has a bad case of jargonitis. Um, it's yeah, it's kind of silly sometimes, but, uh, so we've got people that have, um, they've got some on-prem data resources, maybe an on-prem data center. They've got multiple offices. They've also got stuff that they've uh, virtualized and they've stuck up at Amazon or DigitalOcean or someplace like that. And um, people install Zero Tier on all their stuff and then they just create a virtual network and they have an office LAN that spans everything and now their, um, their machines that are sitting at DigitalOcean are actually sitting in their, in their office as far as they're concerned. Hmm. Uh, the, only catch, the only catch is we can't violate the laws of physics, so um, your uh, latency and bandwidth to those devices is going to be constrained by uh, whatever the shortest path is. Of course. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of your basic use case. Um, one of the things we want to do, uh, especially for businesses, is we want to really radically simplify networking. Um, if you look at any uh, uh, corporate network uh, for any sizable company these days, uh, you see what I call the network Rube Goldberg machine. So you've got your, you know, you got your smart switch, you've got, you know, maybe three different kinds of VPNs, you've got your tunnel, you've got your MPLS lines, you've got your, uh, you know, port forwards and all of your ad hoc stuff all cobbled yeah. together. And, you know, the IT people, you know, bang their heads against the desk all day trying to manage all that stuff. And uh, the the paradigm that we're offering, which, um, you know, it, it, uh, you don't have to, you don't have to use it greenfield, you can adopt it, uh, you know, gradually, or you could adopt it all at once. But the paradigm we're offering is you create a virtual network and you just put stuff in it. And you have the same sort of networking paradigm in-house, uh, off-prem, in the cloud, mobile, everywhere. Okay. So uh, we we think we can basically go in, and we we're do, we're doing this with some companies right now. You know, go in and basically get rid of about ten or twelve different things and kill about twelve acronyms. 
Um, mm. And then uh, more advanced use cases, we have a couple of companies that are actually building zero tier into a product as its network layer. We actually have an SDK. So you can, uh, in addition to installing this on endpoints or installing this on routers or whatever, um, you, can, uh, you can link it into an application and we can, uh, we can link it in either uh, to offer basically naked Ethernet connectivity in the application or we also uh, have an extension to our SDK where you can plug in this tiny little embedded TCP IP stack. And then you can have, for example, a mobile app on a phone that when you launch the app, it actually joins a virtual network and talks, even though uh, it doesn't have any elevated privileges on the phone and it doesn't have to add a VPN port or anything. Doesn't have elevated privileges on the phone. Interesting. Okay. Oh, man, we, there's so many little rattles we could dive down. But but first, um, is uh, is zero tier, are there places where you don't think zero tier is a great fit, where you know possible use cases that you'd steer people away from it? Um, I think the biggest one um, would be if you have like really extreme performance needs or really extreme latency or real-time latency needs. So, for example, um, I don't think people are going to be using this in high-frequency high trading, but uh, those people tend to want absolutely nothing other than bare metal anyway, so they're probably not going to use anything like this. Um, if you're, uh, or if you were doing, if I were building a custom data center to maximize performance for some single vertically integrated app like Facebook, um, I don't know if I'd use something like this because I just want, you know, bare metal and I wouldn't yeah. really need all the flexibility because I'd already know how I need it provisioned and I'd just build it that way. Um, so it is, it does, uh, it does do encapsulation. The performance of it is comparable to IPsec. Um, so, uh. It, it, there's a little bit of a performance hit, but in exchange for that very small performance hit, you get a tremendous amount of versatility and security and everything else. So I would say for, uh, you know, we, we can do probably 90, 95% of use cases, but there's always going to be this little edge of use cases that are going to say, uh, no, we want bare metal. Sure. Makes sense. Oh, okay. So zero tier is delivered as open source, but there's a commercial variant as well. Can you explain to people the differences? Well, uh, what we do is we have, um, we have a, first of all, we have a dual license model. So if you want to build this into an app or into a proprietary device, uh, you have to get a commercial license. Um, and then we also offer uh, enterprise uh, service and support. And then we have a little bit of closed source software. Um, it's around management. So if you go to GitHub, you can download the source. You can do pretty much everything with it, but if you want to set up what's called a network controller, which is um, basically the same thing as a network controller in the SDN uh, sense, although it works a little bit differently, you can compile the open source and do that yourself, but you have to you know, manually interact with a JSON API and all that kind of stuff. We have a very nice uh, web-based commercial uh, network management front end that gives you a pretty uh, UI and a pretty API and a lot of other features that we either offer as a SaaS product or we actually offer a license where you can install that on-prem and use it yourself. And again, that's that uh, pretty GUI is part of the commercial flavor, yes? 
Yeah, uh, okay. the pretty GUI is is one of the only non-open source things we have. Um, okay. So our model is not that different, for example, from someone like Docker. Um, you know, Docker's got the core Docker app, which is free. Uh, you can do pretty much anything you want with it. Um, but then Docker has commercial offerings that uh, are appealing to businesses. We're also um, in the late stages of actually building a hardware device, uh, and we are planning on launching this uh relatively soon actually by the time this show airs it might already be up we're going to go ahead and do pre-sales of it on indiegogo we are uh, making a hardware device that will work kind of like an sd-wan box and can also um, act as a bridge or a gateway or a router and can run zero tier central which is our management software uh, we've already prototyped the hardware for that uh, and we're just working on some of the software for it oh, okay sounds good uh, x86 based appliance i'm assuming um, no, it's actually ARM 64 based. Uh, uh-huh. We found a really awesome board, which is kind of brand new that we can source. Uh, we've already sourced the board and um, it's a pretty cool little board. It's it's physically very small. It's pretty low power, but uh, it's fast enough to pump uh, our protocol uh, full duplex at about a gigabit. So it's fast enough to do a small to medium size uh, uh, commercial or industrial location. And then uh, if that product is successful, we probably will also come out with a big brother uh, physical product that would be a rack mount thing. And then on the commercial, pretty gooey, it, it would, you called it uh, zero tier central, I think. I, is that, if I'm, say, an enterprise, that would be the tool that I would be using if I wanted to manage zero tier as implied by the name centrally sure. see all my endpoints and all that stuff. Sure, sure. And uh, we're working really heavily on that, adding a lot of new features. Uh, you can use it right now as a SaaS product at my.zerotier.com. And um, it's uh, it's free for up to 100 devices. And then uh, you can uh, pay for it there and have unlimited devices. And we're going to be adding a bunch more features and stuff over time. Okay. Um, or uh, Or you can get a license and actually run it on-prem. Okay, Adam. Now let's let's start diving deeper and getting getting nerdy. I think people listening to this have a pretty good idea of what the product does, but let's get into the the, the how it does it. So first up, authentication. How does an endpoint authenticate to be permitted onto the zero tier network? So, like I said earlier, uh, zero tier kind of combines ideas from the decentralized apps uh, world uh, and the SDN world, and it does that by. Uh, by combining them in the form of two layers. So uh, I assume a lot of people listening are going to know the the basic OSI terminology of like layer one, layer two, layer oh, three. Absolutely, they will, yeah. Yeah. Um, so zero tier is made out of two very closely coupled layers. Uh, the first layer is what we call VL1. So what VL1 is, is it's a peer-to-peer network. And it's a cryptographically addressed network. So every endpoint on that network has a little uh, a little address which actually ties directly to a cryptographic public key so that means as I move around the network uh, everything knows who they're talking to because they can do a, cre- a key agreement and they can do message authentication uh, so it gives you stable mobile addressing and it gives you security and um, what that uh, peer-to-peer network does is uh, we call it VL1 because we think of it as a virtual planetary wire closet uh, you can imagine uh, imagine if in the center of the Earth there's a gigantic switch with billions of ports. Um, every uh, VL1 uh, little address is like a port number on that switch. 
And uh, when you send messages over VL1, uh, VL1 doesn't know anything about virtual networks in the zero-tier sense. It just carries data from point A to point B. So it's your virtual wire. Um, on top of VL1, we built uh, what we call VL2, which uh, is exactly what the name sounds like, Virtual Layer 2. Um, the way it's designed is kind of similar to VXLAN. It's, it's not the same. It's a different protocol. But the, the things that it does uh, are very VXLAN-like, and it also includes um, uh, certificate-based access control and a rules engine, which is very powerful that lets you do things like uh, micro-segmentation. So uh, essentially, uh, on top of VL1, uh, you uh, use VL2 to create VLANs. So I can create a VLAN uh, on this uh, global uh, Ethernet backplane, and that VLAN is cryptographically uh, gated with certificates. And uh, on that VLAN, it behaves just like an Ethernet network. And and so then and the key there is the certificates. That's where my authentication is happening. So sure. does, does that mean I have a certificate authority in this infrastructure, or that, you know, that yeah. I have to manage certificates on all my endpoints? So on top of the VL2 virtual network, which uh, you can think of as being kind of like a, a VLAN, you're going to want to control access on that network. Because uh, as I said, VL1, the peer-to-peer uh, -peer network, effectively allows everything to communicate. So... To have a secure network, you need some kind of access control. On zero tier, that's done by certificates. So when I join a virtual network, uh, a VLAN, uh, every VLAN has a network controller, which uh, the job of the network controller here is, is effectively the same as any other kind of SDN system. It issues configurations, uh, but also in this case, it acts as a, as a certificate authority. So when I join a virtual network, my node is going to call out to that network's uh, controller and say, hey, uh, uh, can I have access? And the controller is either going to say, access denied, go away, or it's going to send me a signed certificate that I can then present to other members of the network if I want to communicate. And uh, the certificate management is handled by the controller. It's handled automatically. Um, you don't have to delve into the nitty-gritty of certificate management that much, uh, you just uh, offer your network and the controller will handle it for you. When I am configuring a new zero-tier endpoint, uh, do, do, is the, what, what, what key information do I have to put in, like the IP of the network controller or some kind of a discovery address? Uh, he discovers that, uh, at least if you're connected to the internet. So when you create a new uh, zero-tier node, when you first start it, it actually generates a key and generates an address without you having to do anything. Um, and then it goes ahead uh, and uh, in much the same way as, uh, as a lot of other peer-to-peer -peer apps, it goes out and actually makes contact with the network and orients itself and uh, is now able to communicate. Now, when you join a virtual network, uh, you join it by... Uh, uh, joining what's called its network ID, and the network ID actually contains the address of its controller. So when you join a network, all you have to give it is the network ID, and it now knows where to go to ask for a configuration. So it's really all designed to be uh, as zero configuration as possible. Um, you can, in most cases, uh, for example, on Linux, you can install the package, start the service, join a network, and you're done. Once my endpoint is authenticated, and is he just a network participant, and he runs around uh, just like you would on Ethernet, or 
is there like a, a endpoint specific security where an endpoint could could filter which other endpoints are able to connect to it? That kind of thing. So that gets into uh, with VL two. Um, so first of all, you have the certificates that just determines who is allowed to communicate on a network at all. Um, but VL two also supports a rules engine. And um, the way the rules engine works is uh, when you join a network, you get a cryptographically signed set of rules, and every participant enforces those rules in both directions. So um, it's possible to set uh, very fine-grained rules about how a network behaves. So I could create a network that only allows uh, traffic on port 80, uh, IPv4. I could create a network that um, where only people within the same department are allowed to communicate with each other, and then I could tag all the members uh, with their department ID. Uh, you can do all kinds of things like that. Uh, so you can get very fine-grained about managing networks. Yeah. And okay. Okay. And it's not just constrained by, uh, you know, five tuple. It sounds like you can get into other interesting ways to uh, control those endpoints and group them. Uh, it, it's actually, uh, it's, it, uh, it's a little bit too long to explain in this interview, but we've got a manual, <laughs> we've got a manual that goes into it, but, uh, you can do all kinds of very, very fine grained things. All right. Now, once I've stood it up, uh, and I'm asking this kind of in the context of, um, Oh, VPN clients where you install them on an endpoint and now you've got to screw with a routing table to get certain things working the way you need them to. Is this a similar kind of a concern here or, or is it more like once I've got zero tier up and I'm authenticated, is it like an invisible networking layer and I can kind of forget about it? Uh, nine times out of 10, you can forget about it. Um, we actually sent out, uh, we, uh, we noticed uh, or we made a list once of um, members of our uh, our SaaS hosted version of Central that were running networks but hadn't logged into the actual control panel in a long time. And I sent them emails uh, asking basically, uh, what's wrong? Uh, why did you stop using the system? And one of the most popular answers I got is, actually, I forgot, you, I, forgot I was using this. <laughs> it just works. <laughs> um, so nine times out of 10, you don't have to do anything. Um, if you're on a very restrictive firewall, you may have to open something, but most of the time, uh, you don't. Most of the time, it will just uh, use things like NAT traversal techniques uh, and three-way handshake to automatically go through the firewall, automatically set up peer-to-peer uh, -peer connections. Um, one thing that's worth mentioning here, it's a little bit of a tangent, is a lot of... Um, SD-WAN type products that work over WAN. The way they do things is they backhaul everything to their cloud. Uh, we don't do that. We do everything peer-to-peer. -peer. So it gives uh, better latency, and it also gives us uh, really crazy economics where uh, it basically doesn't cost us anything when people use this. Okay, then what kind of endpoints are supported? We're talking like Windows kind of machines and Linux, uh, Apple, what about Android phones, iPhones, uh, devices like routers? Give me the list. Um, right now, you can run this on Linux, uh, Mac, Windows, iOS, uh, Apple iOS, not Cisco, uh, Android, FreeBSD, OpenBSD, and uh, people have ported it to a couple other things. Uh, we've got official packages for Synology. There's a community package out there for OpenWRT and PFSense. Um, so it runs on all kinds of different stuff. And like I said, you can also link it into apps, although that's more on the advanced side. Yeah, the, the, the Synology one is particularly interesting. I have a Synology 8-disc array uh, in my rack, and uh, it would be really interesting to uh, 
pop zero tier on, uh, put zero tier on my MacBook before I hit the next flight, and uh, and, and that would be uh, be very useful. So this is um, this is going to be happening in the Banks household. It's a, it's a uh, thing I'm going to do. It's also uh, I think it's now included um, in the default image for the latest release of FreeNAS too. So it's actually getting included in some stuff. Cool. Now, now, we've been talking in the context of VPN, building a, a sort of VPN, which to many engineers, that pops things into their head like Cisco's DMVPN. A lot of lot of folks have deployed DMVPN uh, over their WAN uh, and or, of course, IPsec for encryption. So can you compare the zero-tier VPN to these other technologies? Um, I think that of the two that you mentioned, uh, it's most like DMVPN in the sense that it does direct uh, point-to-point kind of mesh uh, routing. The difference is you don't really have to do very much to set up, well, typically you don't have to do anything to set up new links uh, because it's cryptographically addressed and it automatically makes connections. Um, most of the time you don't have to do anything to make a new connection. You also don't have to do anything when things move around. So it's uh, it's like a zero configuration version of DMVPN, I guess you would say. Okay, well, let, let's dig into that for a second. Because DMVPN, when, when you layer it up, you end up with a multi-point GRE tunnel with encryption, if you assuming you turn on IPsec, which most people mm-hmm. do, that you can run a routing protocol on top of and then treat that DMVPN cloud like you know any other WAN that you would use, only it's you know encrypted and tunneled, and you can therefore do some clever things to connect your two endpoints. Um, with zero tier, am I do I have really one big flat layer two network as opposed to a layer three network? Yeah, you have a you have a flat layer two network. Um, of course, flat. Uh, it comes with the caveat that you can partition it up with rules, but if you don't set any rules, yeah, you just have a flat layer two network, and uh, you can carry any kind of Ethernet protocol you want over it. Um, we actually have a few customers that have played around with using this to access devices that don't even speak IP, and then uh, you can also run things like BGP over it. It supports multicast and broadcast, so we have a few people that actually do BGP peering over it. But uh, like I said, it's it's almost zero configuration. So instead of having to set up all these different components, you just uh, join a network and you're done. Okay. So now you mentioned uh, VXLAN-like uh, as far as the protocol goes, and, and you just implied to me that you're actually doing frame encapsulation, where you're taking the entirety of the Ethernet frame and then sticking the IP wrapper around it. But it's your own unique NCAP type because yeah. it's not actually VXLAN? Uh, no, it's not actually VXLAN. The design is a little bit similar in, in certain ways. Um, in particular, the way it does multicast is very similar. And also, we have a way of doing the Ethernet encapsulation where if you're not bridging, if you're going direct from zero-tier device to zero-tier device, you actually uh, don't incur any extra overhead for the Ethernet header. That can all be calculated. So it the, we get full Ethernet emulation basically for free. And uh, we do support multicast and broadcast. Uh, there is a uh, there's a tunable parameter at the network level where you can set the maximum number of recipients that are allowed. And that's because, you know, if you've got a network with 100,000 things on it, um, you probably don't want everyone to get every broadcast. That would uh, get a little bit noisy. Okay, so if it is VXLAN-like, it's your own unique protocol, what happens when I'm trying to pass a zero-tier encapsulated Ethernet frame through uh, a firewall or some kind of a deep packet inspection device. Does it know what to do with it? No, and uh, doubly no, because it's encrypted. However, you can do what's called service chaining with this uh, by turning that inside out. So 
instead of uh, passing zero tier through a DPI or uh, something like blue coat or you know there's there's endless numbers of things you might want to pass it through you could instead uh, use the zero tier rules engine to route the traffic inside the virtual network through whatever you want to route it through so for example um, Let's say you want to inspect all port 80 traffic with blue coat, just to give an example. Um, so you set up your blue coat box, you connect it to zero tier. I don't know if we could actually run on a blue coat box, but you could set up a gateway. And then you could write uh, a rule set that says, okay, every port 80 packet, uh, I want to transparently redirect that packet to that blue coat box. And then the blue coat box will get it, it can inspect it, and then you can send it on its way. And the users wouldn't even notice anything. It would still just look like a flat layer two network. The only thing they would notice is that port 80 traffic was a little bit slower because it was being transparently redirected. So you can do that kind of service chaining sort of stuff with this, but you would do it inside the virtual network rather than outside. Okay. So I see that that's a kind of a particular uh, use case there, a particular scenario. Yeah. What if, well, let's go back to a real simple example, my uh -huh. home network. I've got a Synology box that sits inside of a PFSense firewall right. running on private RFC 19 address space. I've got my MacBook that now I'm, now I'm in California, let's say on a business trip mm -hmm. and I'm trying to connect back in. What does that PFSense box that's in the middle do? How does he handle these NCAP packets? So what your PFSense box is going to see is it's just going to see a bunch of encrypted UDP packets, uh, unless you run zero tier right on the PFSense box. And I think in the latest release of PFSense, it's actually included, uh, in which case you could, uh, you could set it up as a virtual interface on there instead of installing it on the Synology box, and you could just remote into your LAN. Ooh, okay. I am I, actually building a brand new PFSense box that's bare metal, and uh, now that I finally got it talking to the... Uh, the flash drive, I uh, maybe I will add that to the mix. If uh, if that package is there in the latest, that would be interesting. Okay, yeah. and right, so rather than transit the PFSense box, just terminate on the PFSense box, if you will. Sure. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, and um, when, we, uh, when we come out with our own box, uh, people will be able to do things like, uh, it's basically going to be a physical port into a virtual network. So you can plug in uh, things like uh, other routers and gateways on the virtual side of it and run whatever you want. Okay, so the, the key would be if I didn't, if I did want it to transit the PFSense box, then I'm talking about I got to pass UDP traffic through. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and NAT and all that stuff. It's whatever the UDP port, I, is it like one specific UDP port? Uh, the default port is 9993. Uh, you can change that if you want to. Um, it also supports using things like UPnP and NATPnP if you have that in enabled, uh, and it does all kinds of NAT traversal tricks. Most of the time, it, uh, it does um, NAT traversal automatically. We do provide free traffic relaying for the maybe 5% or so of times where people are behind firewalls where they can't actually make direct connections. Uh, that's just going to give you worse performance. So you're going to want to open... Uh, open ports to allow it to make direct connections so you can get a lot better performance. Yeah, because you've got to, uh, you know, in that case, I'm going out through my firewall to a relay, effectively, yeah, that's going to yeah. handle connecting to my endpoint, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so we yeah. just offer that. The, our, our goal is to have something that always works, and then uh, if you actually can make direct connections, it's just going to be faster. Okay. 
Okay, now we, we've talked about zero tier, uh, a zero tier packet. Effectively, it's 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 made of software. I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, are we limited to to software creating that packet? Would it be possible to do a hardware offload at some point? Because you, you you brought up the performance. Yeah. As a you know a restriction in certain circumstances. I mean, is there a scenario in the future where you think that would be interesting? Well, it depends. I mean, if uh, if this got extremely popular and we got big enough to contemplate it, we could actually look into doing our own hardware offload. Um, but I don't think that we would even do that. I, I see some stuff kind of coming on the market these days. Um, it's kind of like the story with GPUs. Originally, GPUs just did uh, you know deterministic 3D rendering, but now they're basically little computers, and you can program them to do whatever you want. Uh, I'm actually seeing some high-end devices uh, showing up on the market these days um, that have uh, little network offload processors that you can actually program almost like GPUs. And uh, as that technology starts to mature and starts to become more popular, um, I think we could probably write a little kernel that would offload uh, at least the expensive parts of zero tier onto a hardware device that way. Um, but as I said, you know, most applications, uh, that's not going to be your bottleneck. So that would be really for, uh, for the highest performance use cases. Is, uh, is Wireshark uh, got a decode for zero tier, Adam? Because that would be a really interesting packet to tear down. Um, not really, because it's encrypted, so there's not much you could do with it. Um, I think somebody... Yeah, did... but there's there's headers, and you could see yeah. some, some... Well, okay, well, actually, that's an interesting question. How much is encrypted? Is the entire Ethernet frame encrypted? Um, everything... So I can't see anything at all? Yeah, everything is encrypted except the uh, zero-tier layer destination and source addresses, so that's about all oh, okay. you could see. Um, we, uh, we are working on some of our own diagnostics extensions, though. Um, the next version is going to support remote tracing. So at your network controller, you could basically tell all the members of the network to send uh, a bunch of information to an observer so you could remotely debug things. Um, and then uh, another possibility that one of our users actually brought up is uh, if you wanted to debug a network, well, uh, if you wrote a, a sophisticated Wireshark filter and then gave it the secret keys of the members of your network, it could actually decrypt the traffic. So that's another possibility that we might do in the future is to have something where um, you can actually uh, set Wireshark up with keys and it can decrypt the traffic and then show you all the details. I can promise you that would be interesting. One of the very most popular articles on packetbushers.net is about doing uh, encrypted decodes with Wireshark. I mean, it yeah. gets hit all the time. So certainly there's people that are very interested in uh, using Wireshark for those sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's doable. It would be a little bit of work, but uh, you would just have to give your Wireshark instance the secret keys of the nodes you want to observe. Mm-hmm. Okay, IPv4 versus IPv6, Adam. What uh, what are my? I'm going to assume IPv4 is full functionality. Uh, IPv6 is always a question mark. So what what have we got? Well, uh, within the virtual network, it emulates Ethernet, so it'll carry anything. Um, outside the virtual network for transport, zero tier uses both. Um, IPv6 actually is uh, is recommended if you if you have it available because um, with IPv4, depending on how good your NAT is. Um, you may or may not get 100% success uh, making direct connections, whereas with IPv6, usually you do. So IPv6 is going to improve things a lot, if both ends have it. Uh, I'm with you there. And, and, and again, the transport is, is there, so mm -hmm. you can uh, end cap with IPv6 and it's no problem. Yeah. 
Um, and then oh, what about all the behind the scenes stuff like certificate uh, distribution and that kind of stuff that can all happen over IPv6. There's no, no, I mean, no if I had IPv4 completely gone, is there anything broken in zero tier? No, um, it doesn't care uh, because all that stuff is done um, at the uh, VL2 layer and VL2 doesn't know anything about physical IP addresses. It IPs, just knows about yeah. VL1 addresses. So it's a layered abstracted system. So, uh, so no, nothing cares uh, what the transport is. And actually, in the future, we're probably going to add naked Ethernet transport as well for use inside a LAN. All right, so we've got this decentralized model. You could be, you, I mean, it's an overlay. And so I've got a, a question about discovery. I mean, I know in a, in a true flat layer two network, there's the process of ARP so that uh, you know, two IP mm-hmm. address endpoints can find each other. But that is theoretically broken in um, uh-huh. in an overlay model. So how are endpoints finding each other? Um, you mean within the virtual network or uh, or yeah? So the within, zero-tier the, within the virtual itself. network, we got uh, we got two zero uh, tier endpoints that are separated over whatever geography and whatever real layer three network is down there. Uh-huh. How do they how do they actually discover each other and then they are able to peer and exchange information? So within the virtual network, uh, because it emulates Ethernet, they discover each other just like they would on a LAN. They use ARP or NDP um, for scaling. Uh, okay, so just 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 to clarify that, then that broadcast ARP is going to get blasted out to everybody that participates in uh, that VL two. Actually, for for ARP, uh, there is some special invisible under the hood magic uh, that handles uh, ARP in such a way that makes it scale a lot better. So do you have some proxy that's handling it and happens to know where the endpoints are? Does Mac mapping or some such thing? Um, it does something uh, a little bit similar to that. Uh, you know how IPv6, NDP, every address gets its own multicast channel? Uh, mm-hmm. What it does is under the hood, it actually does the same thing with ARP. Uh, so it converts it from a broadcast under the hood into a multicast to recipients that, uh, that are indicated. <laughs> okay, so even so, when the inbound ARP comes, um, well, wow, there's got to be a mapping there that knows what multi. Well, would that be a multicast channel of one in that case? Yeah, ARP with a known endpoint destination. Yeah, uh, and then if you have bridges set up on your network, the bridges will also get ARPs uh, if you don't know of any existing uh, destinations. So, um, but typically on a network, you might only have a few bridges, so you're not going to be talking about that much traffic there. Okay. Oh, okay. We we alluded to this, but I wanted to dive in a little deeper on um, the, the the notion of a zero tier proxy or, or or a gateway. In other words, endpoints that aren't running zero tier still being able to communicate with endpoints that are on zero tier. And how how do they do that? Is there some yeah. you know middle box that's translating? So. Um that's actually one of the things we're working on as a product, but there's a lot of people right now who DIY this. Um, for example, uh, you know, you could take a Raspberry Pi um, and install Zero Tier on it and um, plug it into your LAN and then join a virtual network and then that Pi is going to get a network port uh, that's going to look just like an Ethernet network and then you can set up, uh, just like you would between two LANs, you can set up either a Layer 3 routing or Layer 2 bridging and uh, it'll now act as a gateway. Um, the box that we're working on will be a, a much easier to manage, uh, pre-configured, higher performance version of that. 
Okay, so that that is all there. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and I, I, I imagine a pie is handy for certain things, but it's not going to give you, uh, you know, big throughput. Although yeah. I guess the, the like the, the later gens do okay. Uh, the later gens do okay, but I mean that's usually for for smaller scale stuff. For larger stuff uh, in the cloud, uh, sometimes people in their Amazon VPC instead of running it on all their VMs, they'll uh, actually just start a VM there that they use as a gateway, and then on the VPC side, you can set up routes to tell it where the zero tier network is and then vice versa and then it just acts as a router uh, okay i want to ask about multicasting so we've talked about multicasting a bit you're using it internally to do various things but what if i have a multicast network and i want to you know push multicast traffic into zero tier is there a notion of uh, IGMP snooping, that kind of thing, where only selected zero-tier endpoints would receive multicast if they had elected to participate in the group, or yeah. uh, is there any intelligence there? Yeah, it's basically a pub-sub system, um, and the way it works is the zero-tier um, endpoint node actually looks at... So what's cool is we get IGMP spoofing kind of for free. Um, all the really good uh, bridging implementations uh, will support that. So if I take... Um, uh, on Linux, if I set up like an open vSwitch bridge or a Linux bridge and I bridge two network interfaces, the uh, the, the zero-tier interface is going to end up getting subscribed to all of the relevant multicast groups for the bridge network. So what the, what the node uh, client does is it actually periodically examines the interface, pulls down its list of multicast subscriptions, and then internally uh, within zero-tier subscribes to those multicast channels. Man, you must have put a lot of effort into that. Uh, the, yeah, I, I, I yeah. know you said you're getting a lot of it for free because there's a lot of it's baked into well, you know, Linux of, and uh, endpoint, but still. Yeah, we we get we get the IGMP spoofing part for free, but the making multicast work across a WAN, um, the multicast code in zero tier right now works very very well, but it's the fourth or fifth incarnation <laughs> of that. It uh, that was one of the hardest things to do. Um, and there are still scalability issues if you want to create really enormous networks. Um, and we have one other hack for dealing with that. So um, let's say you want to create a virtual network and put a million devices on it. Um, you can do that, but multicast is not going to scale that well to that size. So uh, instead of doing multicast at that scale, um, we actually have um, an extension that will allow you to embed the zero-tier address into IPv6 addresses inside your virtual network, and then it can skip multicast and emulate NDP locally, and you get just a unicast-only network. And it's it's uh, oh, and it's man. and it's completely invisible to um, again from the perspective of your OS, it behaves still just like an Ethernet network. So it's completely invisible. It'll even work with bridging, but you can build these giant you know networks with like a million devices. And uh, if you use IPv6 and if you use uh, NDP emulation, you don't actually need multicast. I love the way you think around these different problems. It's really interesting, your approach. The certain things that I've heard you, a lot of these problems are common in network virtualization solutions, sure. overlay solutions, and, and, yeah. and you seem to be solving them in ways I haven't heard before, which is always interesting. Uh, one of the insights behind uh, this system is that if you use cryptography 
uh, specifically for addressing. And if you build cryptography into the system at the base layer, it actually simplifies a lot of things. Because now you have these globally unique identifiers that you can verify that you know who you're talking to, and you can use them uh, as shortcuts to refer to endpoints without having to do all of this state manipulation and handshaking. And when you do that, uh, a lot of these problems become a lot simpler because um, you can compute things from from those uh, identifiers and do all kinds of cool stuff. Okay, Adam, fragmentation, that's a problem I want to hear about because obviously you got an Ethernet frame, now you're sticking, you know, a, a UDP wrapper around it in your case. Uh, how, so how big of a problem is is fragmentation and uh, and do you handle it in any particular way? Um, Zero tier has its own fragmentation capability. Um, you can technically pass Ethernet frames as big as uh, 9,000 through it, um, and that's to support the jumbograms that you find on some cloud networks. Um, but of course, if you traverse the internet with that, what you'll see if you uh, fire up Wireshark is you send one 9,000 byte frame over the virtual network and you'll see like five UDP packets. Uh, so it will do it its own uh it'll do its own fragmentation of that the default mtu on a zero tier virtual network is 2800 so um the the idea there was uh, i did i just did some uh, benchmarking and uh i asked the question of well is the performance going to be better if we go with a smaller default mtu uh and don't fragment yeah like if you go, said yeah. you know 1460 yeah, or something yeah. like that i would have yeah yeah 2800 uh, seems like a really odd number um, it's uh, it's chosen because that will split up nicely into two UDP packets. Okay, I get with it. Uh, with room for uh, with room for IPv4 and IPv6 overhead and stuff like that. Uh, yep. So benchmarking basically said that no, actually going with the bigger MTU is better. And then the other the other reason behind that choice is that if you bridge it. Um, you don't want a smaller MTU than your bridge LAN. Although um, some of the better bridging uh, drivers, like Open vSwitch, are actually really, really smart, um, and they will handle bridging of networks that have different MTUs. And the the way they do the way the way they do that is um, they will actually get in there, and uh, if you send too big of a packet, they'll actually forge an ICMP uh, response that says. Um, uh, cannot fragment and then TCP uh, PMTU discovery will work. And, and it knows per endpoint what, how big yeah. it can actually send and can track those. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, because at the bridge, you know the MTU of all the devices that you're bridging. So um, the, the, the better bridges will do that. Um, I think Linux's bridges are the only ones that I know of that will do that. If you try to use like Apple or Windows as a bridge, we occasionally have people try to do that. I don't know why. But uh, <laughs> people will try to do that on occasion, and those actually won't bridge between different MTUs. But Linux will, and it's very smart about it. Hmm. Oh man, this I, I love that you went to the to the to the level of detail in testing where you were benchmarking what the exact right MTU size would be, you know, and why. So that is I always would have said, oh, well, you know, you're gonna run into a lot of MTUs out there that are, you know, fifteen hundred and down, so let's do a little math and figure that and then make it small enough that it never have to fragment and never worry about it. And uh you didn't make those assumptions, but went ahead and did testing. Yeah, the, the, other, the other neat thing about using uh, supporting jumbograms is um, in the future, we're probably going to introduce uh, TCP-based transport for this. And the reason is that, um, well, 
two reasons. One, uh, there's a lot of NATs out there that have uh, really buggy UDP support, um, and we occasionally run into problems with that. There's a lot of buggy NATs in general. Um, but the second reason is we uh, we eventually want you to be able to run this on almost any kind of endpoint, and some can't use UDP. So um, the, the problem is when you encapsulate Ethernet and IP in TCP, now you have the double ACK problem. But if you use really big frames, like 9,000, the double ACK problem kind of goes away because now you're sending these really large frames and it lets TCP uh, actually increase its window size. Yep. Right, you get the the slide open and and hopefully do away with that issue. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that yeah. that was actually a little bit of just thinking ahead too that went into that decision was well, uh, if we want to transport over TCP, it's going to make the double act problem a lot less significant. Well, what else you got uh, as you look forward to, to for zero tier? I mean, there's some interesting technical stuff. I mean, do you have a you know a broader vision, maybe a roadmap of what you want to do with uh, zero tier? So uh, in the immediate future, like I said, we're going to be coming out with a hardware device. Um, we are also continuing to add uh, features to our management uh, software backend, and you know we're, we're kind of at that inflection point uh, as a. First of all, we're trying to make the commercial open source thing work, which is is very difficult in and of itself. There's companies that have done it successful, like Mo- successfully, like MongoDB, but um, it's a tough line to walk. Uh, the main way that we're trying to do that is uh, developing more advanced features for business customers. So we're working a lot on that, um, and then we're also doing some interesting, just like. Uh, we're a small company, but we do do a little bit of Skunk Works, uh, you know, research in here, and uh, we've we've done some interesting research on things like uh, pure decentralized mesh nets and stuff like that. So, I don't know if we'll ever release any of that stuff, but uh, we we do do a little bit of playing around over here. Yeah, I mean, is the commercial stuff enough to support the open source at at the moment, the the way that's going, or is it you know still a big community effort that's uh, driving zero tier ahead? Um, a bit of both. I mean, we are we're doing better uh, over time with the commercial stuff, but um, we've had we've had kind of a steady growth, but not quite explosive yet. I feel like we're hitting a point in terms of features and uh, and stability of the product where uh, we're going to hit an inflection point, and we'll start to see uh, more enterprise adoption. We have a we have a good collection of early adopters right now, but um, we're looking to kind of bridge that gap in the near future. Parting thought, Adam, privacy comes up constantly uh, in the news and in various applications and the way our data is used and so on, and zero-tier and the full encryption and so on strikes me as uh, maybe you have an interest in privacy too. Um, So what's your take on on privacy and how you look at it from a zero-tier perspective? Uh, And and maybe you could comment on, you know, what if a a government agency asked you to build a backdoor into zero-tier? How would you react to such a thing? Well, I mean, privacy... First of all, there's an interesting little question that I get asked uh, periodically, and that is, is zero tier like Tor? Does it um, is it a privacy tool? And my answer to that typically is no. Um, it gives you data privacy in the sense that it encrypts everything, but it doesn't give you anonymity. And um, if you think about it, anonymity and connectivity are actually um, Uh, opposing problem domains. You can't solve them both in the same layer because if I want efficient connectivity, I want to route the packet directly from point A to point B, which means I'm revealing your location. Um, Whereas if I want anonymity, I explicitly don't want to do that. So Zero Tier tries to solve the connectivity problem rather than the anonymity problem. Uh, It does give you data privacy, 
Um, if somebody came to us and said, build a back door in, I mean, the, I'm going to give you the truthful answer. Nobody, unless they have billions of dollars or really big government lobbyist connections, uh, can say no to the government if they come and say, you have to help us. I mean, there's, if, if somebody comes to us with a court order in hand, uh, we can't really disobey that. I mean, we could just get shut down. Um, what we can say is that, um, the zero tier software, first of all, it's open source. So you can pull the source and look at it and build it yourself if you want to. Um, and secondly, the secret keys don't leave your machine. So there'd be some pretty strong limits uh, to what we could do. I mean, we could say, well, uh, you know, we could, we could give you a little bit of metadata, but we can't really give you someone's key cause we don't have it. So just right, just built into the way the technology works. Yeah, uh, yeah, it would be difficult to, uh, to 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 have a backdoor there. Yeah, and again, as you point out, it's open source. If you're going to keep that source code out there, someone mm-hmm. that really wants to is very concerned about that can inspect that code and and uh, verify for themselves uh, whether or not there's mm-hmm. any backdoors or, or concerns that their security could be compromised. Yeah, um, we've actually had a number of customers do security audits of the code. Uh, and so far, we've never had a significant incident that, or in, uh, a significant vulnerability that anyone's ever found. But that's a big uh, plus to open source. People like being able to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Adam, we've been on for a while, and uh, for those of you that have li- listened to this lovely edited show, you haven't heard the, uh, the, the I had a power outage in the middle of our interview, and, you know, and so on, so we've had some technical challenges, but, but we got to the end. Uh, Adam, can you let people know how they can find, uh, uh, find out about Zero Tier, more information, where they can download it, and then anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, your own social media, if you like, uh, uh, maybe a book you've written, anything else that you'd like to share <laughs> with the audience? No, no books yet. Um, just go to zerotier.com, Z-E-R-O-T-I-E-R.com. Um, and everything is there. Everything is linked there. Um, you can download it there. There's links out to our GitHub. There's manuals. There's, um, there's a community chat system, all kinds of things. That's great. Thanks for taking the time today, and uh, and maybe someday we get you on as a sponsor to talk uh, talk to enterprises about the the, the commercial variant in, in more detail. For those of you that are out in the audience today, thank you for listening to Packet Pushers today. You can find this and many more of our fine and free, lovely technical podcasts, along with our community blog that's real engineers like you blogging about what they do and how they solve problems. That is all at PacketPushers.net. You can follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. We are on LinkedIn. Like us on Facebook. Rate us on iTunes. And uh, tell your colleagues that you uh, listen to the show today. Share the share the wealth. Uh, word of mouth is how Packet Pushers grows the most, and we'd appreciate it if you tell someone else about the show. Last but not least, remember that too much technology would never be enough.